it's uh, nighttime and I'm walking with a flashlight or torch in Britain uh, along a muddy, uh, muddy trail here. It's winter, it's quite windy. You can maybe hear it in the background through the microphone. It's raining. And, and I'm, I'm coming out on this experience um, because it's, it's cold and it's, it's not particularly very comfortable. Um, and it's to introduce this, the, the next um, episode. And so what's this episode about? Um, it's about something we all need in our lives. One of the m most fundamental and fascinating and almost miraculous aspects of humans is that we need more than um, we need more than energy we need more than water uh, our cells in order to survive need something else something that's actually lacking at the lowest level of Maslow's hierarchy uh, and when we don't have that thing we almost all of us have experienced it and it's that lowness um, sometimes I can go days where I'll wake up and every morning is, is filled with anui or sadness um, and it's something is being increasingly experienced especially by young people um, depression um, in the very least uh, sense of being lost and the resulting anxiety that can come from that and the uncertainty of the future of what's going to happen I talked to my three gremlins about this and they're, they're all experiencing it um, and especially in this time of COVID and we're coming out of COVID and now the war that's happening in between Russia and Ukraine it's a tremendous time of uncertainty of not knowing what's going to happen and especially if you're a young person the thought that the world is constantly changing and tomorrow might be different from, uh, from today and what is that thing that we often are lacking when we feel that very lowness, if not that depression? And it's a reason. It's the reason actually that gives us the um, capability often of withstanding, of being resilient. Often I talk to uh, corporations and organizations in my public speaking and they so often are asking me for the rules for which they can apply in order to thrive in times of uncertainty. And my answer is that I can't give you the rules because no one who has succeeded, succeeded because they followed a recipe. Right? Uh, sous chefs do not make brilliant chefs because they're following instructions. No one has followed a set of instructions and, and done well. Because no matter how many instructions I give you, no how many rules I give them, they will not succeed until they actually want to. So rules and recipes are for people who don't want to. Because once you have that want to, you no longer need the rules because you're going to make it happen. And that want to is beyond inspiration it's deeper than that and that depth is to be found in the reason for stepping forward uh, when my when people join my lab uh, and I would ask them 
the PhD students or master students or visiting un undergraduate students doing a project said, why did you wake up this morning? Because whatever it is, that is what I want you to pursue. And it's remarkable sometimes to me how rarely people ask themselves, why did I wake up in the morning? <laughs> I once asked one of my gremlins, Misha, that question when he was uh, really quite little. And I was feeling like, this is really great philosophy and all that. And I said, you know, Misha, so tell me, why do you wake up in the morning? And he turned to me, thought for a moment, he said, to have breakfast. <laughs> that seems a good reason. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode. Today I passed the California border heading south to San Francisco by my bone shaker. Nearly a thousand kilometers have been traversed and 8,500 meters have been climbed, uh, which is interesting because, um, and I feel quite good about that, because it, Everest stands at about 8,848 meters. So I'm moving through antiquity of the redwood forest, the cathedral for giants made of wooden columns, green arches, and stained glass. For me, cycling is an ideal pace to pass through the world. It's slow enough to notice nuance, but fast enough to compare change. There's a stretch between Brookings, Oregon, and Klamath, California, where the climb is particularly strong, especially after 60 kilometers. My legs were pained as I emerged from the forest shadows into a brief region of sunlight made warmer and brighter by its contrast. In that moment, a butterfly, it was a monarch, joined me in its seemingly haphazard flight. It ambled through the bike's frame, amongst its handlebars, around my body, all the while moving forward at the same pace as I was. Minutes passed, as did meters, and still George, who will call him, flew with me. Then, just as suddenly, he re-entered the giant's cathedral. Monarchs are creatures that move across the whole of North America, across boundaries, seemingly indifferent to them in their remarkable adaptability. Sharing time with George and his kindred spirit diminished my fatigue. His brief presence gave my cells a moment of purpose to pedal. Meeting George was a spontaneous event, to be sure. Was it random? Probably. Intentional? Unlikely. Meaningful? The cells in my heart, my legs, and my mind seem to think so. Which brings me to the point of this episode. Adventure, as in life, needs a reason. On Saturday afternoon, about 40 years ago, my grandfather was out mowing his front lawn, and, and he died. And he was buried next to Jimi Hendrix, which was a mixed blessing, actually. As much as I love Jimmy's music, many of the flowers on Jimmy's grave were not his. They migrated there from his neighbors. My grandfather was only 69 with no obvious illness. A couple years later, he had retired from his 12-hour-a-day work life. Like many, my grandparents began their life together with next to nothing. They were first-generation immigrants. When they married, she was only 16 and he 18. Their livelihood was selling fruit and veg at the road's edge in front of their two-room house. My great-grandmother, who was deaf and would later become blind, with even more determination, and who immigrated alone from the southwest of England, an hour from where I, a hundred years later, would raise my three gremlins, cut a hole in the house's side through which she sold hot dogs to passers-by. Through tremendous effort, endurance, and good fortune, 
That curbside stall became a chain of eight grocery stores called Basket Foods in a town called Renton, Washington, which is very small and rural at the time. With that chain, my grandfather became a pillar of the community and indeed essential to many. Throughout life, his purpose was clear and it was a purpose that mattered in the sense that it, its intentionality had consequential positive impact on the lives of many others. But his purpose died when he retired, and with that, his identity and heart followed soon after. The probability of death after retirement can come quickly, and before that, cognitive decline. A study of Shell Oil employees found that people who retired early and lived to be at least 65 died sooner than people who retired at 65. Why? It's the why that matters. When people lose their why, when they stop moving in their life, whether emotionally, physically, or economically, many, if not most, report that their reason, the why that moved them, also stopped. And with that, the ears of death are pricked. Which raises a fundamental question about the validity of Maslow's hierarchy. As many of you know, Maslow puts our physiological needs at the foundation of our lives. And of course, as physiological beings, this must be true. Our cells do indeed need rest and water and energy and warmth to survive. But Maslow's foundational stage is at best incomplete because our cells, it seems, also need a reason. Imagine you're a solo pilot of a single engine plane delivering letters across the desert. You're living before the time of GPS and cell phones. Each time you take off, you know death is possible. One fateful day, you find yourself facing that possibility. A tremendous sandstorm envelops your plane, and as an expert pilot, you survive the crash, but the plane doesn't. As a non-succulent pant, your body isn't adapted to the desiccated environment in which you now find yourself. As the storm passes, you see that you're imprisoned by dunes. After much deliberation, you decide to walk towards the setting sun, which you know is the direction of home. You've little water, no food, days pass, what do you think of? Is it the fear of your own death? Well, to be sure, but is that all? For many, it'll be more. Likely in that moment, you'll think not of yourself. It'll be something or someone beyond you. The above story is true one. They have been told many times before. While the conditions of each survival story vary from desert heat to freezing ice packs to stormy seas, the raison d'etre of each is the same. That there is a singular reason, a purpose beyond them that kept the person moving forward. Indeed, this has been confirmed by research. We will literally walk further across a desert when we focus on that reason. When that reason extinguishes or proves to be purely in service of oneself, one's cells endure less, whether in work, in relationships, or even life itself. For instance, Rich Clark and myself have shown that people will endure more pain induced by placing the arm in a bucket of ice water when withstanding the pain is done to benefit others. Other scientists have shown that if I were to give you $10 and ask you to spend it on either yourself another person, or give it away, your brain will experience the most immediate reward if you choose yourself. But it will experience the most enduring reward if you chose to spend it on someone else. There's more. A recent study asked whether compassionate love, a strong purpose indeed, might improve the survival of people who are mid-stage in a life-threatening illness. 
in this particular experiment, it was people with HIV-AIDS. Giving compassionate love and receiving compassionate love predicted longer survival. But it was only giving compassionate love that remained a significant predictor of longevity when controlled for adherence. Until two months ago, a Wisconsin couple were married for 73 years. In that time, each became the reason for the other. Then, like for many, COVID came. Because they were both infected, they were blessed to be able to share the same hospital room. But in that blessing, death came as one of the two died. Six hours later, the other also died. This tragedy and beauty is not rare. I'm sure you have heard similar stories, but sit with that for a moment. Consider the fact that little in terms of Maslow's lowest level would have changed in those six hours for the living spouse. What changed? What was lost? Was a reason for living. So while you can have all the ATP, in other words, energy, oxygen, and, and H2O you need, and indeed all the money and materials you could ever want, if you do not feel yourselves have a reason, if you don't feel like you exist, if you feel small and disconnected from the world, if you perceive yourself to not matter, your immune system will degrade, your brain cells will atrophy, your vitality will diminish. It's in such a time that research has shown you're more likely to become addicted to exogenous factors such as drugs and or sex. In the extreme, even with a generous supply of Maslow's fundamentals for living, you may even just stop and end your own life. Which is why I argue Maslow's hierarchy is at best incomplete, and also why I believe the greatest gift you can give to another person is the gift of existence wrapped in authentic care. So essential is the reason for our vitality that the human brain is keenly perceptually sensitive to its authenticity in yourself and others. When perceiving it in yourself, the more authentic you feel, with true honesty, the stronger will be your self-esteem, even more so than your perception of power. So it's not power that empowers you, it's your authenticity. Similarly, when you judge another to be authentic, it activates the neural networks in your brain that are responsible for theory of mind, the medial prefrontal cortex, the temporal parietal cortex, and the retrospinial cortex, more so than when you perceive their emotions. What does this mean? It means that your brain is more likely to unconsciously project the existence of consciousness onto another person when you perceive them to be authentic. I'll repeat that since it's so important. The more authentic a person appears, as opposed to emotional, the more conscious you perceive them to be. So there is a direct connection between our reason and our vitality, which might explain why the human brain falls in love with those who are not simply passionate, but authentic in their passion, especially when their passion, one, transcends them, two, is pursued in action and not just words. Long ago, we lost such a loved one, someone who drew the respect of millions around the world. Justice Ginsburg passed from our lives from the effect of age and cancer at 87 years old. Her impact was unmeasurable. A role model for women, to be sure, but also a role model for men. She modeled how to live life with wisdom and purpose in action for all of us. Our world is brighter because of her, a brightness that manifestly dimmed yesterday. But it was not extinguished. 
While her body may have succumbed to the inevitability of time, her reasons for moving her body forward for 87 years, her drive for compassion, equality, and integrity will be stronger in many of us because of her existence. Here's a quote. It's like in the greatest stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really matter, full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it will shine out the clear. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances to turn back. Only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. That there was something good in this world, and that's worth fighting for. So why does our brain think that the why is so essential? I'll suggest two reasons. First, altruism. Being compelled to help another person has enabled your species to escape evolution's hand of selection. When we were altruistic, we received an intrinsic reward which, like an orgasm, evolved to perpetuate the behaviors that sustain us. The intrinsic reward of altruism comes from feelings induced by a combination of oxytocin, dopamine, and serotonin, which collectively are called the happiness trifecta. Oxytocin is involved in regulating empathy and social bonding. Dopamine is motivating movement. Serotonin in regulating mood. There is also an increase in endorphins, which reduces pain and improves performance. So altruism evolved to be good for you because it is good for you. Second, it decreases uncertainty. When we perceive that someone's purpose is in service of something larger than themselves, such a purpose increases their predictability and reliability as their behaviors are grounded in a set of principles that transcends context. A recent study out of Harvard demonstrates that the result is trust. A counter case in point is the current US leadership. Because his behaviors, and here I'm referring to President Trump, which are in stark contrast to Justice Ginsburg, are grounded in maximizing self, predictability decreases since his decisions change unpredictably from context to context according to his needs and only accidentally according to the needs of those who rely on him. In other words, the country. Again, the Harvard study shows that distrust, if not disgust, follows. This example also demonstrates that your brain also seeks authenticity, not only from individuals, but also institutions, organizations, and brands. Brands, for instance, are deeply influential aspects of our lived experience. Advertising drives $560 billion worldwide. Global marketing in general has a value of $1.5 four trillion dollars in 2019. Every dollar spent is an attempt to deepen the brand's relationship with its audience and yet advertising and marketing in general nearly always misses the point since it doesn't aim at what is essential, true authenticity. According to Boston Consulting Group, true authenticity is the number one quality that attracts audiences to a brand who increasingly demand that companies stand for something bigger than profits. But building this connection comes with a challenge. Fewer than 3% of brands are perceived to have a positive impact on people's sense of well-being. And this comes from The Guardian. 
However, the benefits make this journey worth it. The most meaningful brands outperform their competitors in terms of awareness, purchase intent, and premium processing. The brain measures true authenticity according to unfakeable signals. What is an example? When a brand spends time, money, and effort to improve the human values and truths that are essential to its audience, independent of any benefit to the brand itself, without these unfakeable signals, the brain perceives the brand's purpose to be at best a slogan and at worst opportunism, both of which diminish the audience's trust and ultimately their loyalty, both of which are essential for the brand's adaptability in uncertain times. A classic example of this going wrong is Pepsi. A deeper example is the social tech space. While they started with tremendous intention, a recent Netflix documentary by a good friend Tristan Harris and his colleagues explores the importance of maintaining a purpose that truly advances the human values and truths of one audience. The Lab of Misfits has been working to apply perceptual neuroscience to communications for a number of years, working with brands as diverse as Cirque du Soleil, L'Oreal, and TJ Maxx in order to encourage and support a transition to true authenticity and purpose. Our reasoning is that when a brand or organization quantitatively increases their state of purpose in the lives of their audience, there will be a real lasting impact on our individual and collective well-being. So, now I'd like to come back to you. I'd encourage you to imagine for the next five minutes that you're the pilot in the above sandstorm or you're alone in the hospital fighting the cytokine storm brought on by COVID. Close your eyes and hold these images in as much detail as possible. The sounds, the smells, the fears. Feel the feelings, not just in your mind, but in your metaphorical heart. Take your time. Now when you're ready, I'd like you to ask a question of yourself. Who and or what comes to mind and why? Whoever he, she, they, is, are, and or whatever it is, is likely to occupy Maslow's foundational level of your life, the level that is essential for keeping yourselves alive or not. Is it what you want it to be? Is it who you want it to be? Would the thought of that thing and or person keep you alive longer in a desert storm or not? And remember, not all reasons are equivalent. We must take care. Some reasons create more respect, love, and freedom for others. Other reasons can do exactly the opposite or be exclusive to only those who belong to a specific group or a way of seeing. So there is wisdom in choosing your reason. Does it enhance or does it diminish life? We often don't ask these questions, maybe because the answer, if wrong, can shake the lowest level of our foundations. Because what if he, it, she, they, would not propel us across the desert? What if my reason enhances me, but eventually and inevitably diminishes others? What does one do then? Sometimes awareness can be unkind, but it's honest. And it's in that self-honesty where the freedom to expand or the freedom to constrict, deny and blame begins. Let's finish with a story that shows the power of a reason, a love of true love. From 1990 to 1998, I lived in Edinburgh, Scotland. I earned my PhD in fellowship at its medical school where penicillin, like most wonderful things, were accidentally discovered. 
Much of my day was spent in the tissue culture suite, growing brain cells in a dish, trying to uncover the genetic, molecular, and physiological factors responsible for brain growth and death. Across the street was a pub we frequently called The Doctors, which means every day we would leave the lab and literally go to The Doctors. There we'd receive a bubbly pint of medicine. Next to The Doctors was a statue devoted to the loyalty that is engendered by purpose. Over 160 years ago, a wee Skye Terrier became the most famous dog in Scottish lore. On the 15th of February, 1858, a local man named John Gray died of tuberculosis. Gray was better known as Old Jack, and on his death, he was buried in Old Greyfriars Churchyard, which is actually just across from the doctors. Bobby was an Old Jack's faithful companion who worked with him as a night watchman. After leading the funeral procession to John's grave, Bobby tried to stay, but was sent away by the caretaker. He continued to return and eventually refused to leave, whatever the weather. Eventually, the local residents built him a shelter. There he stayed, guarding old Jock, and remained for 14 years, leaving only for food at 1 p.m. each day. With the firing of the one o'clock's gun from the Edinburgh Castle. Each day, Bobby would run to the eating house, which he had frequented with old Jock, and return to the grave, until eventually, Bobby too died on January 14, 1872, aged 16. His body was laid in the Greyfriars Kirkyard under his own red granite headstone near old Jock. I would love to know what is your reason and if you were willing to share, please send me an email at hello at labofmisfits.com or send me a message at bolotto on Instagram. I look forward to hearing from you. My name is Bolotto and thank you for listening to my Expanding Perception podcast, which will be an ever-expanding story of the neuroscience of uncertainty and how we can not just cope with it, but expand because of it. My aim in creating this podcast is really to try to help you increase your perceptual intelligence, which will give you the ability to make the decisions and take the actions that will foster a more loving, adaptable, and optimistic life in an increasingly uncertain world. My hope is that this podcast will help you in your journey to self-honesty, which is one of the hardest journeys we can take in our life, since it's a never-ending practice and might take you to places that you might want to avoid. But if you have the courage and compassion to go on this journey, you'll find that it's worth it, and it will create true authenticity in your way of being. A deeper consideration of many of the ideas in the Expanding Perception podcast can be found in my book, Deviate, The Creative Power of Transforming Your Perception. You can also follow me and my Lab of Misfits on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also take part in experiments on the Lab of Misfits website that we've designed just for you to help you better understand who you are. So thank you, and I hope you enjoy these episodes. <laughs>